Oh my stars, I am so thrilled you're here. My name is Kai Graham and welcome to another episode in my podcast, The Parent and Teen Toolbox, which is designed to equip parents and teenagers with the tools for navigating adolescence. I've been in the trenches of parenting and now I'm on a mission to help parents support their teenagers so that together we can build a mentally healthier and happier generation of young people. Each week you will receive learnings and takeaways that will help you tackle the challenges and the oh shit moments that are often associated with parenting tweens and teens. I have your back and I'm glad you're here. Hello, you wonderful lot. We're in for another treat today because, um, well, we're talking to Tony Winyard, who is a health and habits coach for people who want to create a healthier future for themselves. Now, Tony grew up in an unhealthy and risky environment, and he spent 20 to 30 years working as a DJ. In fact, he went on to become one of the highest paid wedding DJs in the UK, winning the UK's best DJ of the year. Now, he lost two brothers at a young age, as well as his parents, his grandparents, his uncle and close friends, and all of them died of cancer. He wanted to discover why this trend of cancer surrounded him, and he took to a deep study of health and the human body. Tony says, I had thought that their conditions were hereditary, but have now discovered that there was a powerful influence of lifestyle and habits. So with his extensive training in nutrition, fitness, breathing, sleep, meditation, behavior change, and neuroscience, Tony provides tools and guidance to help you overcome obstacles and achieve personal breakthroughs in in any area of health or life. Tony, I am so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you. And um, yeah, I'm I'm pleased to be here. It's It's a pleasure. Well, we're, we're actually, we're, sort of, we're, we're not really talking, well, inadvertently we are, we're not really going to be talking about sort of health. It's, it, I think it's more along the decisions that you've taken um, on your path, because um, the title of today's episode is Separation Without the Bitterness. Mm-hmm. And I'm just listening to your story, and we're going to sort of touch on it in, in a second, but you... Um, you have taken a very different approach to separation and divorce, haven't you? So t- tell us a bit about that. Well, I guess I um, I was going in a probably in the wrong direction. I mean, so the, I've got a daughter who's now twelve, and the relationship I had with her mother wasn't a healthy relationship in any way. Um, we were constantly arguing. And then it get, got to a point where we were constantly finishing, getting back together, finishing, getting back together. And that went on for a while. And at the time, my daughter was, well, still she was under a year old. And it was really unhealthy. It was a really toxic environment in the house. And we, we both agreed this wasn't a, a great place to be raising a baby. And so we mutually agreed to finish. Um, and it was quite... Uh, yeah it it wasn't a great uh, separation and um she didn't allow me to see my daughter and I had to take her to court and that uh, we went to court a few times and and at first I think I I took the approach that many I, was, I, I say many fathers do in that situation where the court seems heavily favored in in terms of the mother the father has it's very unlikely that he's going to get you know in his favor you know certainly to to have um, you know, uh, you know, the child staying with with him, and I was kind of maybe I wouldn't say I was bitter, but I was wasn't happy with the whole situation initially. Mm-hmm. And then I can't remember exactly what happened, but I realised that I started needed to take in responsibility for my situation, and and that's when things really started to change because I I, I realised I was playing the victim a bit too much. And since then, I think things have been quite different. So, yeah, that I mean, that, that's kind of like summing the situation up. Obviously, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. But I think because when you and I were sort of chatting, you were sort of saying um, that, you know, and, and, and 
it often happens. It, it, it's automatically, separation is automatically sort of by the very nature. It's sort of, you know, team A or team B, isn't it? And and the child is children, is uh, are left in the middle. Mm. Um, of, often, dependent on their age, but without a voice. And so it turns into an absolute battle. I, now, correct me, but you, you sort of, as you said, took responsibility and decided that was not the way that, you know, yeah. your, your lives should be going. Tell, tell me a bit about that. Well, so I had um, a friend of mine who I went to school with. Well, I'd say a friend. I haven't really seen him since we were at school. But he found out about my situation after the separation, around the time of the separation. And he got in contact with me and said, oh, I need to speak with you because I can really help you out. And he did help me out, but not in a way he thought he was. Because... He proceeded to talk to me for an hour. It wasn't a conversation. He was just talking at me. And he'd had a horrendous breakup with his ex. And he had joined Fathers for Justice. And we've seen this chap on top of sort of Houses of Parliament and, uh, you know, London Bridge and whatever. Mm, I remember the image well. Spider-Man and and so on. And he, maybe understandably, became really bitter because his situation was far worse than mine. He his son was turned against him. Um, his ex-wife accused him of many things each time that he was able to see the son where the police and social workers were involved in sort of um, looking at the son, uh, having to strip the son because he was being accused of all sorts of things and eventually making the son terrified to see his father. Anyway, so, so he became really bitter. So when we had this, as I said, it wasn't a conversation. He was just telling me all the things I should do. And I realized in that call that he was extremely bitter, bitter against women in general, certainly against the mother, um, but he'd become just bitter as a person. And it made me realize, well, I don't ever want to be like this. And so it it helped me a lot because I just resolved to never let that bitterness get to me because it certainly wouldn't help me. But above all, the last person that would help would be my daughter. So I I really resolved to never, ever be like that, no matter what happened. But Tony, that's, uh, that, that is um, sort of, you know, textbook response. I get that. And, and your, your sort of friend, colleague, I, I, can, I mean, I can so understand. I mean, I, I look at teenagers every day and we, they, they get, you know, and families who get bitter and twisted or cross and angry when they're not heard. Mm. Um, because you know the first thing I say about teenagers, um, but but it's anyone really. If we want to feel loved, understood, and respected, is that we need to feel valid. Our feelings need to feel validated. We need to be heard. We need to feel valued. So when the other half, the ex, the 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 you know all, all the sort of professionals, the the court system, when it's it, it feels like it's not going in your favor or more or worse still they're not even listening to you they're not even sort of you know how how can you not how can you avoid the bitterness how can you avoid not sort of internalizing it and getting angry because i know it sounds it, it sounds you know perfectly rational yes you're quite right i'm not going to let it sort of shadow you but how do you not how how can you remain sort of I, I, I was going to say detached. That's probably not even the right word, is it? But how can you sort of remain slightly more level-headed without getting pretty damn cross? Well, initially, I guess what helped me, I joined this, uh, an organisation called Families Need Fathers okay. quite early on in this whole situation. And I always think of them as the sane version of fam- Fathers for Justice because they, they try and look at things in a much more rational way. And th- there was a few people that gave me some advice about what might happen in a court situation and so on. So I was prepared. So, for example, in the very first time we went to court, they said that her barrister is probably going to say all sorts of things about you, many of which don't have any basis of truth to them. And it's to get you angry so that the judge sees you as an angry person. So it's important that you don't react. Well, I'm, I'm quite laid back anyway. So I, I, I thought, well, there's no way she, she would do that. I know her really well. That's never going to happen. But that's exactly what happened. But because I'd been warned, so inside I was seething, but I remained totally calm. I was adamant there was no way I was going to let the judge see me as angry, even though I was angry about what was being said, because there was no truth to it at all. Um, And so for the first 
couple of years when we had to go to court a few times, I was really angry about the system and the seemingly unfairness of the whole thing. But I didn't show it, and I certainly didn't show it to to my ex. I I resolved that I was never going to be angry to her in any communication, whether that be verbal or, or written. And I certainly, and I also resolved that I would never say anything about her to my daughter, you know, as she as she grew. And I've managed to maintain that. But I I think that what I realised after a few years of the court situation was fathers, well, not just fathers, everyone blames the court system, mostly fathers, because fathers often get the sort of brunt end of it. But I, I now look at it differently because the court are in a no-win situation because they most of the cases are sort of scheduled to be 15 minutes or so. They, they might be a bit longer than that. But there's no way you can resolve a situation in 15 minutes. How is it possible for the judge to ascertain where is the truth, who's telling the truth, who's exaggerating? They can't even check up on anything that's being said. There's lawyers just compounding the whole situation you know saying all sorts of things there's social workers and various other people it, it's just the whole it's the, it's the situation is a nightmare and and that's why so the judges often have to say okay well most of the time the mother is the right person to look after the child which is absolutely true but obviously not all the time so naturally they are going to side with the mother more and i I do understand that now, and now I don't. I don't fault the. I don't fault the people in the court, like the actual judge, or the people that were involved in the case. I think it's the system is the problem. It's not. It wasn't the people involved, and so yeah, there is a big problem with the justice system as a as a whole. But um, yeah, I. Yeah, it's. I don't know what more to say. I I realised that. Um, I just decided to take a different step. Once we managed to, we went to court four times in the space of, I think it was three years or something. And we haven't been to court now for the last eight years. And I realized there's absolutely no point in going to court. I'm never going to win. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yep. Winning is not the right word. Um, so I just decided just to play the game. Never, um, there's no point in arguing with, with her because that's not going to, help anything so just to try and be as calm as possible to never um to always to make sure i always showed up for every contact to to be respectful to her as i possibly could and to never say anything negative about her to my daughter and by taking that approach it seems to have worked so I'm presuming that now the sort of the court system is not part of your remit. Mm. Um, you and your ex, your daughter's mum, are having to communicate a bit more. Would that be fair? Yeah, and communication has never been great because there's been a lot of bitterness, unfortunately, from from the other side. Um, but yeah, we've we've managed to solve things without getting anyone involved without having the court system involved or how 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 do you do that how do you do that when you are the two of you it's sort of both you know different ends of the spectrum and 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 your views of one another are not positive I mean did you sort of sit down with her and go right no courts let's not fight let's do it amicably or did you have to mirror that behavior so that she was able to realise that it's going to be less of a battle from now on? Yeah, I, I think I just realised that there was no point in going to court. And so there was no point in threatening her to go back to court because I was never going to get what I wanted by going back to court. It was just going to involve spending more money, but being in exactly the same situation at the end of it. So I just had to swallow a lot and just try to make the best of this uh, not a great situation. But on the other hand, I was getting to see my daughter. I wasn't spending anywhere near as much time with her as I liked, but I was getting to see her and we were having quality time together. And that was the most important thing. You, as a health and habits coach, are 
perfectly placed, you have the tools to be able to deal with this, to to be able to do the, you know, understand behavior changes, to understand the neuroscience, to understand the things that you need to do in order to get the outcome that you want. Mm. So what is your advice to other people out there who might be at loggerheads with their ex, who might be sort of not seeing their kids as much as they want to, or or potentially on the other side of the coin, you know, who wants their ex to see their kids but aren't interested? How do you you know how a, a bit of sort of advice here how how did we communicate how do we sort of get what we're looking for if 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 it's if it's a always constantly feels like a battleground what are the tools of the trade what are the tricks i would say that this thing like anger is a is a very difficult thing to control for for almost every person but anger very rarely does it resolve does it result in a good situation? And it certainly never, very rarely does it ever result in progressing the situation positively. And so if you can, even though, I mean, this is easy for me to say, but to try to certainly never, uh, never well, so this was how I did it. I never answered an, an email or text straight away that, if I got angry by reading the, the text or email, then it, it was never a good idea to respond to that straight away, to at least leave a few hours, if not overnight, yeah. so that I could, you know, the, the anger would subside and I could always respond in a positive way and without responding with anger back, because that would just inflame the situation much more. So that was something that I I made myself do. And I I'm thank I'm really glad that I was able to do that i mean i've never responded angrily to her and i've certainly never used profanity or anything in any of my responses in in since this whole situation began and i think that has helped because if if i had have responded angrily and used profanity or whatever it would have just the situation could have got so much worse than it did yeah so that i think is one of the things another is it's just to take responsibility because as much as it wasn't a great situation I was to blame for many of the things. It wasn't just me. It was both of us. But rather than just simply blaming the courts and blaming her and, and it, there was, there was, I was at fault for many things. And so once I started to take responsibility and not blaming other people, that also actually freed me up a lot. It made, it made things much easier for me in the long run. It, and I think that, that helped my state of mind quite a lot as well. Um, and, and then I think the third thing is by not, by being really, really sure that I was never, never said anything negative to my daughter about her mum, because she's living with her mum, how it will be, how, how is that going to help her in any way? If I said anything negative to, to the person that she's living with 24 seven, so I think that, that probably proved to be a, a really wise decision you know in looking back at it now kind of thing and i think that's the thing isn't it is the fact that us adults want to feel in control us adults want to be well you know want to feel right want to feel as though we're doing obviously doing our best but want to feel vindicated in our own feelings and so especially if we you know if, if there is no communication between you know sort of both sides the, the the sort of intermediary, so to speak, is the child, isn't it? Mm. And so, um, sadly, and, and I think this sort of you know happens a lot, is with separation and divorce, the child does hear um, opinions, facts. It, it, it doesn't really matter, but of of both sides, that mm. actually they shouldn't have to uh. listen to. Um, so, I mean, what 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 would you advise? Okay, parents, you know, sort of who are listening to this, you know, no, I'm trying my best and I'm not saying this, but maybe they're hearing, you know, the opposite from from through their kids from what the ex is saying. What what would you advise in that situation? Um, we the last thing, because I, I suspect, and I, I can't prove this in any way, and I don't know for sure. I suspect that my daughter was hearing some negative things about me from her mum. I don't know. That's this, 
the impression I got from some things that were said by my daughter. So if I had done the same thing, then it just puts my daughter in the middle, which is the worst thing that can happen because psychologically that's not going to help her in any way. And and if I put her in a situation where she has to make a choice, well, that's not going to help her either, especially as how is she able, it's not in any way is she going to be able to choose me when she's four, five, six, seven years old when she's living with her mum. So I, it was lucky that I think I was able to see, to, to be really, even there was times when I really wanted to ask my daughter things about what was going on, about maybe what her mum had said or, or certain things that happened. I realised it, it was not going to help in any way by putting her in that situation. So, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I just by not, not by really trying to think of, of my daughter's best interest really, and not trying to kind of hurt her psychologically or put her in a situation that was going to, could potentially mess her up later in life psychologically. Brilliant. And, and that how commendable, because it, you, you're seeing, you're looking at the bigger picture, aren't you, rather than what's immediately in front. And um, I think, you know, oftentimes we have to make those decisions for the greater good rather than appeasing ourselves. Is that fair? Yeah. And even, you know, because also what, you know, what, what can she say? Even if she turned around and said, oh, yeah, mum said blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not really going to change anything anyway. No. All that, all that would result in probably would have made me feel bitter or but it certainly wouldn't change the situation any. It wouldn't enable me to see my daughter more. Or I just realised whenever whenever I got to see my daughter, I just want to have fun in the time that I've got with her. And just we just said we just have great conversations about all sorts of things, and we laugh a lot, and we do. But we never spend any time. We literally never spend time talking about my mum or the situation or anything like that. We just have amazing conversations. How cool is that? So tell me, um, for, for, for those families where, um, you know, so both parents are not really communicating, how the heck do you co-parent? How do you, how do you sort of manage the big decisions? How do you manage different, well, it, th- this is a sort of really massive question that, you know, so you could take 15 minutes to answer, but unpacking it, but, you know, A, how do you manage the, the, the big decisions, but also how do you co-parent and how do you um, reach those decisions together or, or is that sometimes not possible? And I, I mean, obviously every situation is very different and it depends on, you know, well, if you're, the, I think the more, the less blame that you that you shoulder yourself and the more that you give out blame to other people, the harder it's going to be. Because, And I think many people are not good at taking responsibility for their own actions. And I think that's maybe the thing that helped me the most was once I realised I had to do that. Because as long as I kept playing the blame game, that was never going to help anyone in a situation. So, yeah, I think that might be one of the biggest things to learn is just to take responsibility. If there are big decisions about your daughter's welfare, are you are you consulted? Yeah, well, now things have become improved immeasurably over, especially over the last six months, but probably the last couple of years, things have been improving slowly. And um, in the last six months, things have improved a lot. And and one of the things that happened, and, it, and this was quite by accident, really, I didn't plan this, was around, I think it was late last year, in November or something, I got a text from, from my ex with, um, she was forwarding, I think it was a text or I was a certificate or something, something that happened at school, I forget the exact details, where my daughter had got an award for doing really, really well at school. And, and I... I posted this on my on my Facebook wall, just saying how well my daughter was doing, and I had lots of my friends came back saying, "Oh, how well that I was doing," or complimenting me. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and all these sorts of comments. And then I I f- felt guilty about this because I thought, "Well, this is not down to me. This is down to this is mostly down to her mum because 
she's living with her mum 24-7. I'm only seeing her once every couple of weeks. So the fact that she's doing so well at school, there's no way I can claim, um, you know, responsibility for, for all of that. I may have con- contributed, but I certainly is not, most of it is down to me. So anyway, the next day I, when I, I responded to her and thanked her for, for the sending me the text, and then I said, I can't remember exactly how I worded it, but I said something along the lines of like, I'm really so proud of how she's doing. She's doing so well. Her emotional intelligence is amazing for a, a girl that age. And I've got to acknowledge how much of that is down to, you know, ha- having such a wonderful mum, you know, the job, the job that you're doing. And then she sent me back a message saying, thank, for, thank you, and, it, and she really appreciated my comments. And I've noticed things have been much warmer since that. And I, it wasn't something that I sat down to think, okay, what, how can I manipulate it or how can I butter her up or anything? It was just kind of something that's a spur of the moment, something that I wrote. And now I've realized that I gave her acknowledgement and I think that's what she was looking for all the time and I didn't realize that. But by acknowledging the, the great job that she's done, that's why things are so much better. And it's 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 going down to I I always say doesn't matter who we are that we want to feel loved understood and respected mm. and even if it is an ex that you have you know had good times and then bad times and hopefully calmer times but whoever um, we are dealing with it doesn't matter if it's as I said, the ex or your child or your boss or the postman or whoever, we all want to feel valued, don't we? We all want to feel heard. Mm. I think we're all muddling along and doing the very best we can. And 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 sometimes we we're so wrapped up in our own our own world, our own feelings, our own whatever's going on that we forget to, as you sort of say, um, acknowledge what other people are going through and what they've what they've achieved absolutely yeah and what a great i mean you are modeling the behavior of respect to your daughter you know uh, to you know and 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 sort of attributing her her, her successes to her mum as well as obviously your daughter but that in itself is creating the behaviour that your daughter is going to be mirroring in the future, surely. Well, and, it, and it's funny you say that because one of the, another thing that helped me, and I forgot to mention this before, was not long after we, we separated, I can't, I, a friend of me, mine, I think he posted me something on, on social media. Or it was a quotation, and I can't remember who said the quotation, but it was along the lines of, children don't listen to what you say, they watch what you do. And... and for whatever reason, I don't know why, I really sat with that for quite a long time. And that has really helped me as well in, in this whole situation because I realized that, okay, there's no point in me just telling my daughter what to do or, or whatever, that she's going to watch what I do much more. And so that was another reason why I was adamant that I wouldn't badmouth anyone. I would try and always be kind and, and friendly and, and whatever in every time that I'm with her. And so, yeah, so what you just said is kind of goes along with, with that whole thing, yeah. yeah. I mean, it just reminds me of a time when I was working in um, primary schools and there was this little sort of fellow, and I think he was about six or seven, and his behaviour sort of changed overnight and 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 he turned just, he, he just sort of turned very disruptive and he was angry and he, he was bullying other kids. And yeah, I mean, and, and this is, I know it's a huge sort of generalization, but it turned around that, you know, that it transpired that his parents were going through an extremely messy divorce, again, mm-hmm. exacerbated by sort of very inflexible court systems. And and there was just, you know, there was so much unrest at home. Um, and this is what this little boy was mirroring. And he was mirroring the anger and the frustration. And and um, and I think the thing is, if we can, I it's 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 fine to say not in front of the children, but I do think rather than um, you know sort of keeping the arguments away, if we can avoid the arguments altogether, so much the better, isn't that right? Yeah, and and it's having some kind of release as well. So I, mean, I think for me it was it was in the last ten years since the separation, 
I've sort of discovered things along the lines of sort of meditation and breathing practices and so on. And that I think has helped enormously, as well as in the last 10 years, I've, I've read literally hundreds of books, and many on around psychology and philosophy and different things. And a lot of those things have really helped me calm me. It was certainly reading those things that helped me started seeing why I shouldn't need to take responsibility for my own actions. But the, doing things like the meditation is, is so calming. And it, it, you, I, I find now I rarely get angry about anything. Even, you know, even when you're in a car and someone cuts you up or, or whatever the case might be, I just realized, well, I don't know what's happening with that guy. Maybe he's, he has to go to hospital because something, you know, maybe he's, 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 his uh, partner's with him, he's pregnant, he's about to give birth. Who knows what it, what it might be? And even if it is that he's just being a jerk, well, you know, so it's me shouting at him in my car is not going to change anything. And and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's taking responsibility of our own actions and of our own feelings. Um, do you do you honestly think? Because I I try so hard to meditate, and I'm not very good at it. I mean, would you attribute a lot of a, a lot of your sort of mindset changes to that sort of approach? Yeah, I wouldn't say just meditation at all, but certainly meditation has contributed um, because I, I've realised, and I think it was also reading some philosophy and some spiritual stuff along the lines of the Tao Te Ching and some of the the Greek schools of philosophy, you know, like Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, and reading some of the things that they've said and how they were dealing with anger 2,000 years ago. And anger then is the same as anger now. Gosh, yeah. So some of the sage advice they gave on dealing with anger, I think, hugely helped me. And so go on, give us a nugget, give us a nugget from, from those days gone by. Cause I, I mean, I am, I, I, I would say I'm sort of quite calm, but there are things that just, and, and the, it's the road rage is I'm quite big with, but what, what is it, you know, because I presume that the advice hasn't changed. It's just been repackaged along the way, hasn't it? So what are your go-tos, you know, Let's just forget about the road rage. We're talking about separation and divorce and whatever. So, you know, you get a, a crap email or you, you know, historically. Um, so what are your go-tos? You know, do, what do you just do to stop you and bring you back sort of to a slightly calmer frame of mind? Well, well the two quotes that come to mind, the one that has been the most helpful without a doubt, is attributed to Viktor Frankl, you know, um, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. Um, and it got, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's something like there's a pause between stimulus and response. And in that pause is room for our growth and our freedom. And once I really understood what that meant, where it, when something happens, very often we have a default response, which often is anger. And if you can stop that default response and just, widen that pause and stop to reflect well getting angry is not going to help me in this situation it's not going to improve the situation anyway what is a better response to what's just happened and by having that slight pause and changing my default response has made such an enormous difference to my life so I think that is the biggest thing and the second um, quote was Look, there's many different people this quote is attributed to. Some people say Buddha, some people say various Greek philosophers, but it goes along the lines of um, drinking poison and expecting the other person to die is yeah. you know, foolishness, or I forget exactly what it says, yeah. but that that was something else that helped me a lot. And I think I, I've I've learned that a lot, and and I've had to, you know, through my own sort of experiences, have had to learn um, to forgive. And to learn to let go. And I think, um, I, and there's another quote, you're, you're obviously on the same sort of wavelength as me, that I'm going to butcher as well. But it's something along the lines of um, the greatest form of freedom is forgiving the um, apology that you're never going to receive. Yeah. And I think I think that's the thing, isn't it, is the fact that we are all wrapped up in our own little worlds, that we forget to see the bigger picture. We forget to see that actually that there are lots of other factors involved and it could be your ex or it could be the sort of kids in the middle or the court system or, you know, step parents coming in and sort of, you know, upsetting the equilibrium or whatever it is. But 
that's the wonderful thing about life, isn't it? It throws us curveballs and we have to adapt to the change. And yeah, something else that I just realized as well that really helped was we, we, we touched upon meditation. I don't know if you're familiar with, a, there's a form of meditation called loving kindness meditation. Oh, no, tell me, tell me, I'm liking this, go on. And so in, you have to, well, you don't have to, but you're advised to repeat three phrases uh, f- uh, phrases during the meditation. So the first one is, and again, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's something like, um, I've, I love myself, give myself something. I forget exactly how it's worded. And then the second one is, you think of someone that you really love. So in my case, it was my daughter. And you think about thinking about good things for her and, um, and hoping everything goes well for her. Or again, I can't remember the wording. And then the third one is, think of someone that you don't get on with, someone that you've had a lot of conflict with, and you think about good things for them. You forget about what's happened between you, and you think you wish good things for them. And so I deliberately thought of, of my, you know, my daughter's mum. And I did this practice every day for, for a couple of years. And so that naturally helped me because I was no longer thinking anything negatively about her. I was, I was literally thinking about trying, hoping, wishing her well every day for, for a couple of years. And, and I think naturally, I think that helped as well. It's, it's quite easy to ignore step three sometimes, isn't it? And I think that's the thing is that we need to... Um, we need to sort of remember the words of sort of kindness and compassion mm. um, because we're all muddling through this. We're all, you know, sort of we all have our trials and tribulations. Um, and if we don't, A, take responsibility, as you say, and B, sort of approach our, our, these sort of confrontations with calm then it is always going to end up in a shooting match, isn't it? And a, and, and a tit for tat. And, and, and it's never going to be the win-win that we're looking for because we're always trying to get one up on whoever our opponent is. Yeah, it's like Stephen Covey says something about rather than just looking for the win-win, I think he said look for the win-win-win or something, didn't he? Where, yeah. wins, where they win, you win, and I can't remember exactly how he, how he described it, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you do in sort of situations where, you know, something might have happened and you think, whoa, that was a strange decision to make, you know, for you know, because not every set of separated parents are going to have the same parenting styles, are they? So what do you do when something really goes, I don't know, goes against your own values or your own beliefs or your own um, opinion of what should be happening in the right way for your daughter, in air quotes. Uh, and that has happened. There's been many, as well, many, there's been a few situations like of that. Of course, of course it's going to happen. It'll happen to everyone, yeah. And I've just decided, well, there's no point, there's nothing I can do. There's no way I, I don't have any positive influence on the situation because I learned quite early on that if I um, suggested anything, she would do the exact opposite of what I suggested. She would not take on board any suggestions I made. So I realized, I learned that where there was no point in making any suggestions. Um, And so when there have been things that are, I mean, so I can give you an example of, so I, so, you know, I'm a breathwork instructor and I know a lot about breathing and I've got a history of asthma. And I wouldn't say I've cured my asthma, but I no longer suffer from asthma by doing these breathing practices. Well, my daughter also has asthma. And so there's certain practices I know that would really help her. And I've made suggestions to, to her mum, but she won't take them on board. And that, that's frustrating because I know that I can help my daughter with her asthma, but she won't, her mum won't listen to me about it. So, but well, there's nothing I can do. So I just have to ignore it and hope. Luckily, her asthma is not too bad. And I just have to hope, well, when she's old enough to um decide what she wants to do and who she wants to listen to and whatever you know when she's 16 17 whatever age may be then maybe i can help her more with with those sorts of things that's um that's pretty powerful because if we're talking about trying to make child-centered decisions um that and and potentially without sort of wanting to sort of flare anything up that that is sort of 
focusing on your daughter's safety and and well-being so i'm su- not surprised i i'm just interested to hear the there's nothing i can do because is that truly how you feel yeah there's there is nothing i can do because i've learned that she won't listen to me even now yeah even now so um the worst thing i can do is push it and then she gets angry quite quickly so that it, it's not going to she's not going to take on board what i'm saying yeah. certainly if i make her angry yeah so so what's the point in banging my head against the brick wall just there's there's things you can control which is my own thoughts and actions and behaviors and most things i can't control so i i don't worry about the things i can't control that yeah it's it is that that's a hugely brilliant example of of um uh, i i sort of use the that the formula e plus r equals o where e is the event that we're dealing with r is our response how we deal to that event and o is the outcome and and biting your tongue in that instance and and do you know what anyone listening to this will be able to mirror you know cre- create their own sort of situation um and it's just it's it's you're making the decision sort of for the greater good but not quite for the greater good if that makes sense yeah. and i guess it's a wise decision because it comes with a hell of a lot of hindsight doesn't it yeah but it's also for my own sanity as well because yes. What's, yes. The, what's the the opposite or what's an alternative i could get frustrated or angry well, that's not going to help that's not going to change the situation it's only going to make me stress which is not going to help my health so there isn't really an alternative, but there isn't a better way of handling. No, there isn't. Uh, no, I mean the way you're handling it is is um, just the way it should be handled. But I think the thing is, is that especially when we know or feel that we're right, and those who can't see, I'm doing air quotes, because um, you know we we all feel that we're doing things the right way. I, I would presume, but when we think we're doing things right and we're not being heard, it's so bloody frustrating. Yeah. Um, and yet I think the thing is, is when, when one of us or both of us start digging our heels in, that's just when it's just, nothing's going to resolve, is it? Yeah. That's the worst thing. Yeah. And so it's, I guess it's a point of sort of stepping back and is it looking at the bigger picture? I suppose you're quite right, actually. If you know that you're not going to win or you're not going to be heard or or your suggestions are not going to be sort of taken on board, it really is going back to sort of um, self-preservation and, and, and your own sanity, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a few things that I know that I could help my daughter with, but I don't want to pressure her by suggesting yeah. them to her. So I've just decided to subconsciously I don't consciously tell myself this but I've just decided that well when she in a few years time when she's 17 18 19 and whatever at that point our conversations will probably be different and then I can help her with some of some of things are related around health and I know that I can give her some real help with some health issues that that she has yeah, I mean, you're quite right because you know your your daughter is um, sort of young enough to know you as dad, but not terribly, not old enough to be terribly interested at what you do. Let's be fair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 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 I've got a I've got a 28 year old son, and um, he has anxiety, and he is on medication, and he is learning. He's just recently been diagnosed with ADHD, and he is just learning at the ripe old age of 28 how to have better coping strategies, how to cope, you know, with sort of with with various things that are affecting him. And he he is he sort of saw someone and he came back after the first session, went, oh my God, this person's absolutely brilliant. They're absolutely fab. They're saying this, this, this. And I was on a Zoom call and I was just looking at him and he went, oh crap. He said, you've been saying this for years, haven't yeah. you? <laughs> and it is like that, isn't it? And and sometimes you just have to pick your moments or just sort of Drip feed your little pearls of wisdom gently, knowing that they might land in about sort of two or three years' time. I mean, that's yeah. fair, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and I think I think that's the thing is that sometimes we have to do as parents, separated or not, um, but with with kids and others, 
um, we have to take sometimes take the sort of you know the the play the long game and do the softly softly approach because coming in and doing the you've got to listen to me because I am right is is not really sort of terribly conducive to sort of a successful conversation. There's a great book on that. I don't know if you're familiar with Gabor Mate. Yes, yes. And he he wrote a book called Hold On To Your Kids. And there's some great advice in that book. On you know, that's one of his books. I, Jack was quoting him to me. My son was quoting him uh, the, to me just recently. But I haven't, I haven't, but I shall go and grab that book, definitely. It's an excellent book. It talks about why so many people, why at, when kids become teenagers, so many families have a rift between the kids and, and the parents and why that so often happens. There's some great advice on that. Go on, give us a little snippet then. Well, so he talks about things like that, about, you know, parents start telling the kids what to do. Yeah. Rather than yeah. Kind of con- maybe not consulting, but having a discussion with them instead of telling them. And because they're, they're getting much older and they, they feel now they're wise enough to be able to make their own decisions and they don't appreciate being told what to do anymore. Yeah. They're not, they don't see themselves as children anymore. So. You're quite right. And, you know, I mean, I, I was sort of chatting to um, a girlfriend of mine who is going through a sort of a, a pretty um, messy separation and she's got two teenagers and um, her ex is, you know, they're, they're in the sort of same situation or they're in a situation where they are not really communicating. And when they do, it's it's just hard work. Mm. And she just sort of said, do you know what it's like having three bloody teenagers? And I go, well, yes. So act accordingly. And, you know, she's sort of, oh, my gosh, right, now I know what I should be doing. Because I think the thing is, is with anyone, we, we are, you know, we, we are thrown lots of different relationships. We, are, we bump into lots of different people. We share the space with loads of different people. And we have to learn that we can't communicate the same way with all of them, can we? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And so it's the important thing is that, you know, we as as people are, you know, sort of if they find themselves in, a, in the point of a, a messy discussion with with parents of, of their kids, um, other halves, exes or whatever you want, that we need to learn how to communicate that works. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be the same across the board, is it? Well, and also. Just because we've communicated something. That doesn't necessarily mean we think we've communicated it clearly. But that's not always the case. <laughs> because right. although we think it's clear, it may not be clear at all how you know it's being perceived by the, by the other person. And that's where problems often you know, stem from. And that that is be it the written word or or verbally. I mean, I think many texts and emails can be misconstrued, can't they? So oh, it's far easier to misconstrue, yeah, the written word, yeah. But even yeah. Even verbally, it, it can be, we can, we think we've been very, you know, we've given perfect clarity with what we said, but that is not often the case. No, because we've probably had about sort of three hours of thought patterns running in the background, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. And so oh, we awesome. have said all the different things that, you know, yeah. So there's so many, it's so easy to, to have, miscommunicate and believe that we've been absolutely clear with what we've conveyed. And that's not the case at all. And I think that's where your initial piece of advice is do not respond in the heat of the moment. Mm. And I think that, you know, many a time I have written an email and put it into draft, you know, sort of thought about something and thought, let's sleep on it. And you're quite right. It takes the emotions out of it, doesn't it? And it allows us that space to think, oh, okay. I meant that when I wrote it, but it doesn't, you know, rereading, it looks very different. So you're quite right. I've actually got one draft that I wrote, I don't know, eight years ago or whatever it was. And I still got it in my draft folder. And I look at it sometimes to remind me how ridiculous. I'm so glad that I never sent it because I read what I wrote, but luckily I didn't press send. And I keep it in my draft folder as a reminder of, how twisted your thoughts can be when you get angry. Because when I look at it now, I think, that's not me. I'm not, that's, I didn't, surely I couldn't have written that, those things. Thank God I never sent that email. And it's, it's a good reminder, isn't it, is that we need to learn how to communicate in the best way that we can for, for everyone's benefit, for that win, win, win. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 
Oh my, Tony, thank you so, so much because this has been very insightful um, and also very reassuring to know that, you know, some people who are struggling at the minute, there is light at the end of the tunnel as long as we just sort of, yeah, maybe put the brakes on and press pause once in a while. Yeah, have that, have that, that pause between stimulus and response. It can be so, I don't know, for me, it's the most, I, there's no quotation that has helped me as much, you know, that has made such a difference to my life, that, that quotation. I think about it often. Um, but it's not just thinking about it, it's by being able to help myself act upon it on a regular basis. It's really helped me. I, I'm going to um, get the prop, the complete wording of it and bung it in the in the show notes because um i think i will benefit benefit from it as well so tony thank you so so much indeed i really appreciate um you taking the time because this has been this has been really uh, well it's it's been really re- enlightening for 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 me as well so thank you and and thank you thank you for what you do speak to you soon thank you Thanks so much for listening to this entire podcast. If you want to help other parents looking for support, then please share this with your friends and family. Because if you find this podcast useful, then they will too. So please share via your social media. If you have any parenting questions, then please give me a shout through my email, which is toolbox at kygraham.com. And I may even use your question as a future podcast episode. If you want to connect, please come and join me on Instagram. Just search for Kai Graham. Also, could you do me a favour, please? Parenting teenagers can feel very confusing and isolating at times. And I believe that it takes a village to raise a child. And we are here to support one another. I'd love it if you would leave a review on iTunes. And a good one, by the way. (laughs) Because when you do, it lets more parents out there know that there is support for them too. Thank you. And as always, this comes with much love.